If you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. What is the long-term effect of too much information? Information, information, I just need some information. I've been dying, I've been dying. Is it lack of education? I've been reading, I've been reading without any transformation. I'm addicted, I'm addicted. Is it overstimulation? Hey. Welcome to the success report. The success report. Hear ye, hear ye, come one, come all. You're listening to The Sixth Sense Report with Darnell Samuels. And Joel Nikoloff. And today we we have a voicemail or a two cents from a listener from Jeff from Brampton uh, who's giving us some feedback on our, our asylum episode. This is where my question for Joel would come about. Say that you have a farmer and he has a limited amount of land right which which is the case for all land there's got to be a limit of how much workers you can hire because again the resources we have are limited so we can't just hire as much as we want once that land gets filled or fully occupied the additional worker that we hire his ability to contribute will be will vastly decrease regardless of whether he has the ability to work really well right if if the land is already filled to the capacity to the point where that extra worker can't even stand in it can't even work in it right we 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 could start to see that there's now a negative impact of hiring more workers so when we translate this to canada to immigration to this whole ideal obviously the the land space we have is limited so with this concept of open borders is there a limit um is there a point to where we say, okay, we've opened our borders, we've let in so much people, now we have to close them because we've reached our max? So, um, first things first, give the audience a little bit of context. To, we, had, we had to shorten the clip up a little bit, but the, uh, the intro from uh, Jeff from Brampton um, put the, the context of his question in the idea of open borders. Um, you know, should does it you know what's that should we approach that and the mobility of of workers you know for their benefit um so that's the context of the question uh just a reminder to listeners um if you're going to give us an audio clip try to keep it to about a minute um gives us the time to respond uh, so i mean i think for the most part the answer to this question was in our canadian asylum episode in that when you have significant social programs you can only add more people to the benefit side um really like without overbearing the system right so think of our healthcare if we were to double our population the healthcare system would collapse because there's just not enough funds i mean our wait times are already astronomical i just saw an article that said something to the fact that our our healthcare wait times are like 21 21 weeks um so but but there was something else in 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 the example from steph i mean jeff from uh that i wanted to address and that was around the productivity of land um for for a, an entrepreneur or a business owner you would never 
bring in employees to the point of physical capacity. You would utilize land employee ratios to the point of the marginal productivity of an employee combined with land. And you would only bring in another employee to the point where they're, the cost of that employee is less than what they contribute. Um, and so how would I apply that to, to let's say, open borders without a significant amount of social programs? Um, I would say that as we become more productive in housing people, a uh, simple example of like, Think of how tall buildings were 100 years ago to today. And so our ability to have more dense populations has increased with the same amount of land. And so the question becomes around how productive can individuals living in a space be, right? How do certain land masses have higher density populations? Well, it's not because they can fit more people on the same land, it's because they've used that land in a different manner to per more productively fit people. Now, you can argue whether it's good or bad, but the point is um, that I think there's very vastly different questions around you know, the co physical capacity as well as the productive capacity. So I think I've answered or, or at least responded um, since the, the listener called me out. Specifically, I, I, I took up all the time. Sorry, Darnell. No, no, no! Please uh, go ahead. And uh, uh, but the you know the the interesting thing when I was talking about the productivity of labor versus the cost, um, that actually transitions to a, a topic we'll probably be covering at another time, which is minimum wage, and what does the impact of minimum wage have on on employment? Um, but we're actually talking about a very similar topic today: the the concept of social justice, and and. How do we respond to it? Or what, it, or what is social justice? Because there's a term being thrown around. And, you know, it's one of those things that ter the term's being thrown around, but nobody's really defining it. And our hopes as, as a podcast is to help, help us unpack the term through dialogue and discussion and, and hearing uh, people's perspectives on it and just going back and forth and really looking at, okay, well, well, what is social justice? Especially for us who are Canadians and how does that play out in our, in our context? I think, you know, right away, I want to, you know, preface everything that I'm going to say and I'm assuming Darnell would agree with me, that as a society, I think we should be taking care of our community. Um, I think we should have a responsibility for those in our community. Um, and, and to me, that's where I think I can agree with social justice on a very, very high level. Um, I don't know if that necessarily matches exactly what you would define social justice as. Um, but for me, I think that's where I can find common ground with anyone who's speaking about social justice. Right. Uh, it's so funny. It's pretty deep. But what we're going to have to get into is some deep political theory, some deep 
economic theory. Because uh, it's one of those, like I said, we're throwing around the term, but like you're going to have to really go back and really look at these ideas because, uh, you know, no idea is original. There's nothing new under the sun. It's never what you do, but how it's done. Right? Freestyle Friday over uh, here. Right. <laughs> right? So it's, it's, you know, we're really tracing ideas and really looking at the consequences of ideas. So, it, you know, social justice is not a new idea. So for me, as a historian, I trace its roots back to Karl Marx, right? In regards to, uh, well, no, look, now it's the kind of like a history class. So you guys got to whip out your pens and take notepads notes. and take notes. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're looking at the political philosopher Karl Marx and his work in regards to class warfare. So basically, class warfare, if you guys remember from grade 10 history class, uh, you have the proletariat, which is the working man, versus the bourgeoisie, which is the man, uh, as some of us like to call him. And basically, he's really, what Karl Marx is trying to, to, trying to do is unpack why the bourgeoisie or the man stays at the top and the proletariat, the working man, stays at the bottom. And the answer he proposes is that the, the, the guy at the top possesses uh, control of the means of production, which hinders the uh, guy at the bottom from getting to the top. So, it's almost, so basically, it's a race to control the means of production, right? So in, in his day, it was um, industrial equipment. Uh, from now, this is my perspective, for my two cents. Uh, I, I think the means of production for today is social media or media in general in regards to leveraging the hearts of the people to uh, back that particular perspective. So are you saying uh, to like means of commu controlling communication uh well no well well because of the internet uh, it you can't you can leverage you can't really control it yeah um, or, or but, like having the predominant control of the predominant means of like the medium of of trans you know communicating of, of news for example uh, well well more so uh, like that like something that everybody a term that everybody's familiar with viral yeah, a video so. going viral, um, a, a hashtag going viral. Uh, it, we know that has a lot of power. And it, it's so funny because not a lot of people are on Twitter. But if something's trending on Twitter, it pretty much dominates the conversation outside of Twitter. Yeah, people who aren't on Twitter know that something's trending right, on Twitter. Right, right, right. And, 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 and for some reason, people assume that it means something or that it's important. <laughs> right? No, but I mean, and, and, and this is for me. This is my personal, I'm saying like, I, I was saying this is the means of production that pe that, that's just trying to be leveraged uh, in regards to uh, the means of production to, so the point I'm making is that, you know, for the guys at the bottom who are trying to get to the top, Social media is a it plays a big role in getting to the top. That's what I'm trying to say. And gets your, yeah, essentially getting your voice heard. Yes, right. Because I right. mean, if you well, well, not, well, not well, not just heard. 
No, but, but I think that's getting a people get getting get people to support, like really leveraging real support. Well, and I was what I was trying to get at is step one is is if people don't hear your message, no one's going to support you. Right. So if you can no platform somebody and pre- basically prevent them from having their voice heard, mm-hmm. you can prevent them from gaining support or at least try. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would argue that, and this is kind of going off topic, that the more you suppress particular type of let's call it respectful conversation um to say the least the more you're censoring people because you don't like what they have to say the more you're creating an opportunity for someone to knock you down yeah yeah uh you know it is what it is uh but essentially essentially you know you're trying to um well not trying to but but social media is very powerful and that's what i'm trying to say now with that said in regards to our specific context as canadians dealing with social justice we have to look at the idea of multiculturalism so in 1971 canada was the first country to uh, implement multiculturalism as a policy right so uh, essentially what it was saying was that we accept all cultures and that we're going to try to yeah we're going to try to accommodate all cultures and treat everybody respectfully uh but in to a certain extent it's it's morphed into not just equal opportunity but equal outcome and then that's where things get sticky so again uh social just you know playing just taking the word as it is social justice is like class warfare the guys at the bottom are pr- treated um, unjustly, and so now they're trying to uh, ascend up the ladder to be treated justly. So, I guess the question becomes, what is our role, and how do we engage in, in social justice? Uh, well, uh, I would say, well, part of it is, like I said, you have to be able to identify these words. So I know when, when, I, when, you know, when I'm in a conversation, one thing people hate about, or not people, uh, my wife and my mom, <laughs> what they hate about me when they get in conversation or with me. Or frustrates them. Or frustrates them, because they don't hate me, they love me, right? Well, you know, who, who wouldn't? Hopefully. Who, I, who, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? But, <laughs> but essentially, like, I'm always asking, what do you mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. like I, I don't, and it's not, I like, I, like, what do you mean when you say that word? Or what do you mean when you say that phrase? Or what do you mean by that? So it's always good to define your terms and your phrases um, so that we're talking about the same thing. Because, you know, you don't want to miss, we don't want to miss each other by, you know, you know, talking about the same thing. but. We're talking about different things and, and getting confused, right? So defining the term sh- social justice and then asking, okay, how is that possible, right? Because like, for example, um, uh, Joe Boot uh, gives this, the, the, this argument where he says, social justice is not attainable because justice is always done on behalf of the individual, right? So uh, Ferguson shooting, yeah. right? That's a trial. That's a case, uh-huh. right? We're, we're seeking justice to find out what actually happened, 
as opposed to finding justice for um, a particular group of people. And that's why when, when, I, when you look at multiculturalism, it gives way to identity politics. Right? So we're saying, okay. Because um, are, you, are you essentially saying that you then translate the justice of individual scenarios beyond the actual, what's justice in that scenario to attributing it to a group of people. Right. So that even though it might be unjust for that particular scenario, you don't care because it's just for the people. Well, and what I use don't care as a, a like, mm-hmm. I'm, that's probably not the right term, but like the point is that only one outcome is viewed appropriate for the justice of that people. Right. So the first thing that pops to my mind is the O.J. Simpson trial. The funny thing, dude, I remember being in school cheering because I thought that was the outcome we wanted. Like, I really didn't know anything other than this guy's on trial for murder. Oh, he got off free. Like, literally, I remember an announcement happening mm-hmm. in school that the trial was over. Right, 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 right. But... Okay, well, you're probably an anomaly for a white person who thought that was a good thing. I was but, 12 years old, man. I didn't know what I was thinking. No, you, well, well, you, well, right, right. And, <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, it is what it is. Hey, you're, you're, you're probably like celebrating. Everybody's looking at you. What the? <laughs> like, yo, what side do you want, buddy? <laughs> right? But, uh, but I know, like, especially as a black person in the community, it, it was, it was a big deal. And the way at that time, um, it was seen as a victory for black people in regards to justice. So yes, we saw um, OJ get off and it was celebrating from black people because we felt like uh, we won and, and, and we attained justice from that side. And that's always been a sentiment because we've seen uh, situations where, where in the justice system where it has been mishandled historically where black people have been mishandled in the system. So we're feeling like, okay, as a, as, a, as a people, as a community, we're like, okay, well, we're getting the short end of the stick. So that's why um, th- there's so much emphasis on the sentiment of social justice for the one, for the all. And now it's, and now I'm bringing it to present, presently to today, you know, especially, you know, comedians, you know, you know God bless comedians because they have the ability to say political things that are politically incorrect, right? But it's funny. But you know, you know, well, black, we're black laughing comedian. at ourselves. Well, well, black comedians, man, they yo, God bless them. So they'll always say like, "Yo, you know, OJ was guilty, right?" So black people are laughing. You know, they're like, "Yo, yo, you know, OJ was guilty." But you know, when the brother got off, you know, everybody was celebrating because we felt like we 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 got one, even though. It wasn't was an a injustice, good one. right? It wasn't. It was <laughs> although it was an injustice. So, like, th- th- there's a sentiment that we have to take away where, even when seeking justice, you can create an injustice, um, at this at at the same time if things aren't handled properly. So, so we, the point is, I'm I'm just saying, you know, to be delicate, but there is a history that aligns uh, justice for the one for the all. See, and it's funny, like my mind goes to a couple different places when we're talking because especially because you've been contrasting to some extent justice and injustice um it takes me to uh this book that i quite enjoy frederick bastiat the law you can find it online it's free 
as a PDF because it's from 1850. It's by a guy who was in France writing about what he saw was good in America to some extent um, and bad in his country with regards to law. But I would bring it back to a similar scenario um, and, and why this quote starts to make sense with regards to justice and injustice uh, is I think of Eric Garner mm. where he basically got arrested for selling like homemade cigarettes mm-hmm. um, which so it speaks to law right the law was you can't do this mm-hmm. so um the quote i'm about to read from the law frederick Bastiat. it's in the section called law is force and then follows through into law is a negative concept so we must remember that law is force and that consequently the proper functions of the law cannot lawfully extend beyond the proper functions of force. When law and force keep a person within the bounds of justice, they impose nothing but a mere negation. They oblige him only to abstain from harming others. They violate neither his personality, his liberty, nor his property. They safeguard all of these. They are defensive. They defend equality sorry they defend equally the rights of all um before i go on to the next part remember that's saying when law is used appropriately in regards to force mm-hmm. um then the section law is a negative concept the harmlessness of the mission performed by law and lawful defense is self-evident the usefulness is obvious legitimacy cannot be disputed as a friend of mine once remarked the negative concept of law is tr- so true that the statement the purpose of law is to cause justice to reign is not a rigorously accurate statement. It ought to be stated, the purpose of law is to prevent injustice from reigning. It is in fact, sorry, in fact, it is injustice instead of justice that has an existence of its own. Justice is achieved only when injustice is absent. So the reason why I, was thinking about like again the the wrestling between injustice and justice like if we look at kind of the what i challenged you with are you saying like oh justice for this group of people based on only one outcome well in the oj simpson scenario that clearly nobody will look back and say that it wasn't unjust for the family mm-hmm. of the deceased mm-hmm. right like justice was not served for that those individual peoples in the context mm-hmm. But we said justice was served for, for people. Mm-hmm. And so it's a really, I think, you know, why I brought up the Eric Garner scenario, because like injustice was done, but it was because law was used in a manner that didn't respect the force that it created. And so, I mean, I'm really getting to this idea of the fact that we have laws that create victimless crimes. Mm-hmm. and how much of where we want justice to be brought back is because a victimless crime is creating so much of this. You know, whether you want to talk about drugs and people being arrested for drugs where they're only hurting themselves mm-hmm. and, and consequently you could argue the damage done by giving them a criminal record, by putting them in jail far exceeds the damage they do to society by doing drugs for themselves. Right, right, right. It, it, it's it's pretty deep when you look at it, because even like for our context as Christians, 
or as, as Canadians as well, is that um, it's been inspirational for many around the world to see uh, the gay rights movement grow. And it's now uh, for other identity groups like blacks, women, Muslims, uh, they're trying to get the same assistance from the government to advance their cause as well, right? So Canada has been the perfect climate for fostering the social, social justice and the idea of cultural Marxism. So again, Marxism presupposes that a particular group or class has a monopoly on sin. It assumes that those at the top are evil because they did something evil to get there. And thus, uh, justice can only be achieved by or, mm. or when the dominant group or the class is, is displaced. So here's where social justice has uh, like kind connected to cultural Marxism. So Marx is saying, okay, class is being defined by your position, your, your job and your financial situation. But with us today, it's, it, we go away from your financial bracket and your, your job into your, your, your political identity, your cultural identity, whether you're black, you're Muslim, you're a woman, you're transgender. Your, your minority status. Your, your minor, yeah, yeah, the your terminology mi I've heard thrown around is intersectionality. Yeah, yeah, your minority stance. But, but the point is this, that, that the, 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 the system is, is saying or kind of showing us that well, groups are homogenous, but that's not true in yeah. regards to that we we're all, we're all think the same. So like, for example, not all homosexuals are against Christians, right? Yeah. Not all women well, are for abortion. Use the bake the cake scenario. Right, right, right. There, there's homosexuals that fall on right. both sides of the spectrum. Right, right. But not all women are for abortions and, you know, you know, and not all black people are for believing white privilege, right? But it's one of those things where, you know, we group people according to their groups, but, you know, according to the scriptures, you know, we're all made in the image of God and, and we're all fearfully, fearfully, wonderfully made and we all have our own distinct identity. So not everybody is going to think the same way, right? So you can't, you can't say like, okay, well, all black people think this way because black people hate that. And I'm sure white people hate that as well. Yeah. So I, I think just to be gracious just to be gracious in regards to navigating this idea of social justice, you want to be able to say, okay, well, look, let's look at the individual. Let's, let, let's put the individual on trial, but also let's not have the group speak for the individual. And, and I would say that I think if we try to achieve justice via the government, you're actually just going to end up with a different oppressor in the long run, right? Like coming back to this idea of if you're using law via force to achieve justice, there's only a matter of time before the pendulum spring swings the other way. And I think a really good way to put this in, in context is looking at, if we look at charity and, and, and that kind of stuff as a way to resolve injustice that are more, not, not legal, you know, not where you've defrauded somebody, but if you want to look at scenarios where people are just unfortunate right and we want to help them because of you know they lack some of the things that they should be accessing to be on a player, fair playing field there's a quote by murray rothbart that i love and it's really the title of it is real charity is voluntary it is easy to be conspicuously compassionate if others are being forced to pay the cost right 
and that's why I'm saying like if you bring the law, the force of law behind creating justice, it's only a matter of time before that pendulum swings too far. Mm. And now the oppressed becomes the oppressor. Whereas if we do this as a society, collectively, voluntarily, mm. we don't go too far because we stop volunteering it because we're, we don't see the need anymore. Right. But government programs just end up existing in perpetuity. Right, right, right. It's funny because I, I think as Christians, yeah, we're here. We're here to work as one person, as opposed to, um, or as a community. Like when God calls us to do good works, He says, "Well, you do good works. Don't leverage other people to do good works. So you be responsible for yourself as a community, as opposed to leveraging other people to, um, to do the work for you." And I think something that can transcend, you know, for those of listeners that aren't christians one thing that with a christian perspective is that we we are called to look at our good works vertically not horizontally so because someone else isn't doing is the good works that we're doing or they're doing them differently is not a place to judge because you don't know the context you don't know the situation you don't know really if they even have the means to do what you do and so I think that's part of the problem where we look around and go, that person's not doing enough. That person's not doing enough. Instead of just going, am I doing enough? Or that person's doing too much so I can kick back and chill. Yeah. Right? So uh, this is going to be a very good conversation. I have a feeling that this episode will be something that we'll constantly coming back to in regards to hearing the two cents um, from our listeners. So please, uh, we want to hear your feedback. We want the conversation to move forward. We want to change the narrative and and really get dialogue going because i feel like that's that's not being done enough and that's why we started the podcast so please based off what you heard whether you agree or disagree uh hit us up send us a voicemail um and we'd love to hear your 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 two cents yeah you can find us on all our social media six cents report no numbers just words or find me on twitter at do gooda darnell you forgot the underscore oh do gooda underscore darnell i'm at t joel n 39 and that's my two cents and i probably gave way more than two cents but we want to hear your two cents but you heard me does that make sense I hear